MLV versus players, millionaires versus billionaires, spoiled men and uber elite rich men. We've heard it all, but what will happen when the dust settles? We explore the possibilities on this episode of, wait for it, Dingers! This is Dingers, way more than fantasy baseball. We keep it real when we talk and knock it straight out the park. <laughs> Let's see the stats. What's the average draft position? What kind of plays you making? Check the wins above replacement. Check the lineups and the points. This I gotta see. What's your path to victory? Are they aiming for a dynasty? Get points going head to head. Please don't do me no favors. We're always watching waivers. Ain't no minor league. This is major. Yeah. Dingers. Let's go. Welcome to Dingers, the only fantasy baseball podcast for smart people. It's not just Rob Manfred that wins you championships. That's why week in and week out, we're delivering tips oh. and strategies to help you live that straight up OG lifestyle. I'm Tyler Childs. Joining me again this evening is the future commissioner of baseball, Robbie Baseball. Yeah, why not? Everybody really else got, is I got nominated. A, I got a mid-drink tonight, guys. That was... And it was- it was a big pull from my last, like the, the end of my can, so I can start a new one for a new episode. Oh, wow, that was good. Did not see the Manfred coming. Yeah, because I didn't put it in the notes, so I really got you off guard on that one. So um, <laughs> how do they say you got pwned? Is that is that what the kids are saying these days? Do they still use that? I don't know. I, the only kid I, I interact with is a four-year-old, and he just wants to play police and speeders. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean you just run around the yard and he chases you? Is that kind of how that goes? Yeah, so what he'll do is he'll say, okay, daddy, so I'm going to be the police and you're going to be a speeder. So you run around the yard and then I'm going to chase you. And I'll say, okay, and then I'll start going. And then I have to go vroom, like I'm speeding in the car. And then he goes, woo, woo, woo. And he will do that for hours. So I, fi- <laughs> I fixed his Jeep up the other day and um, I'd use a soldering gun. I mentioned on the last podcast and now he can drive his Jeep around. So the new game, which is the same as the old game, is he is now the speeder in his Jeep and I have to catch him uh, as the police car. And then I can also you know, give, make him do wheelies on his Jeep and do other fun things. Um, yeah, I, I feel so, like it's a pretty good life for a four-year-old. I, I don't disagree, but pro tip, I did this with my dog. Um, what I did was I have one of those like bucket push shovels. So in the backyard, I took the snow and I made a track because she's not a huge dog. So she couldn't jump over the snow and she just, was oh. in the Daytona 500. So cool. I feel like you've got enough property that you could probably build a little dirt track, just place his car in there and he cannot get out of it. And he well, just drives around. I like that. So he's been riding his bike recently and because of uh, the shutdown of parks and different things. And, uh, you know, I'm in Southern Ontario. So a lot of our things have not yet opened, but are pending opening next month. This, this poor boy has been riding his uh, brand new bike that he got at the end of April when he turned four. Uh, with his because uh, he watches the show Peppa Pig which you don't yet have a child you shouldn't know if you do I have concerns nieces um, and nephews I know I know okay. Peppa Pig well that's an interesting workaround for knowing the show um uh they call it's it's an English show so they they call training wheels stabilizers so he he's a, apparently half English because he'll say you know daddy my stabilizers so I, I adjusted his stabilizers so they're up a bit higher so he can you know get a little more oomph on it anyway we've got a lot of loft on the yard and we worked really hard to get him to pedal as best he can, but there's a way that he could actually have a big track within our yard, but I've got to move some drainage pipes and I'm, I'm willing to put them underground and run them into the cow field beside us. Cause that's the level I take with 
my kid, just like in fantasy baseball, to get us back on topic. Not that I couldn't do this for 45 minutes, but I'm thirsty. You know I just finished my last one. Let's start another one. The original. A long time ago, someone decided to put stuff in glass bottles. In some of these bottles, they put juice or milk, and that was stupid. Today, only alcohol and a few other products remain in the containers from the gods. It's time for beers and bourbon, because good advice only comes in a bottle. So this is the second episode of this evening that we're recording. So we are still pounding the same drinks from our last episode, um, except Robbie's got to open a new one. That's mine, right. mine is just enjoying the oxygen before it goes down <laughs> into my belly. Um, so we got the Elijah Craig small batch that I've been sipping on here. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, it's a good drink. What do you got over there, Robbie? Uh, I switched it up to a Magnata Brewery True North Cream Ale. Uh, it's obviously handcrafted in small batches because what good beer isn't? It's a 5.0 pint. I'm just looking to see. I've got a lot of flies in my basement tonight, which is exciting. Um, I had the door open for way too long and uh, trying to find out where it's brewed. And I just assumed Niagara region. Uh, well, on a side note, like you're like, for those that have never seen Rob's basement, like you have built such an allure around what your basement is. And every time somebody comes on as a guest, they're like, what the hell? And, <laughs> and it deserves that reaction. I promise you. So um, I think we need to do more like glimpses in, um, to the cage or whatever we want to call it. Like we got to come up with some sort of like the murder room. Is, so is I, I am rewatching, I think it's season four of Dexter. Uh, that's the Trinity. Uh, that's my wife and, and I's favorite season. Yeah. Um, it's great. great. It's one of the best episodes or seasons of TV ever. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think uh, Jonathan Lithgow is the serial killer in it. Spoiler alert. And uh, he does a hell of a job as the Trinity killer. But there's so much going on. I think we're on episode eight or nine right now. So we jokingly called this the murder room because you could trap somebody in behind um, behind me, which is actually, you know, just an old lock lock and key area for, uh, from the cider mill that used to be on the property that um, was, you know, torn down whenever 50s, 60s, they rebuilt it as a woodworking shop. My neighbor who's lived here since 43, I think is when he moved here in 1943. He's 91 now. Uh, he as a child used to come home from school and help the guy that, uh, was the millwright in the property used to build trim. They built all the churches in the area. They did all this great stuff. It's a very historic site. It's pretty awesome. I love it. Uh, but it certainly looks like I could take down a body in here and <clears throat> being a chef by trade, I'm also a, uh, really good butcher. I will say, even though by choice, I'm a vegetarian, I, I could certainly make a body disappear. So the Dexter thing works for me. Uh, the murder room works for me. The whole thing works. Um, but you know what I think would be great is it just, I want to chime in really quickly. If, yeah. this, if this ever makes it onto like a trial, like I just want to say <laughs> I'm innocent. I, I did not, I had nothing to do with this. This is, I'm in a different location right now. I'm, I'm <laughs> hey, Canada has already had their Dexter copycat killer. It was some guy out of Edmonton that wanted to, he, he did kill somebody, but it was like, uh, it was such a mucked up thing. Anyway, go just Google like Edmonton Dexter killer. It'll come up. It's weird. There's several podcasts that cover it, but um, you know, it would be neat ties if we did like a Twitter live stream of this um, because now I'm, I'm even catching up on this as it's happening here. So 
there are there are a few boys friend of the show sp streamer uh michael simeon and um another podcaster have uh done a very similar beer bourbon baseball that they're calling a live stream um one of our great listeners billy b appreciate you billy b Shut uh, up. yeah he he mentioned very subtly on twitter that we already do this basically because this is supposed to be a fun loving community of guys who all get along and uh, michael had been on an episode with us went through it all but uh, ty may or may not have forgot to hit record so we don't have it um but we did go through it so it, it took the boys by surprise when, when somebody mentioned it and when Billy mentioned it to them on Twitter. And um, I mean, we don't, we don't really care. There's no trademark on great ideas. It's just that we happen to be doing it. And then now I'm seeing other people who are uh, coming up almost to their defense as if they need a defense in saying that, you know, rates and barrels podcast does it uh, baseball holics does it dinger ball too, which I mean, dinger ball, we've got another issue with them and dingers podcast and who came out first and all sorts of fun things since we started airing there have been at least four other podcasts that have used the dinger as their head um, which is to us more of an issue as far as developing your own brand and people stepping on others toes before we launched we looked to make sure there was no other podcast that had similar sounding names to ours um, not everyone else has done the same and if it's a segment for us that's beers and bourbon and ty does a great job by uh that um introduction that he has for us and everything and we always make a point to acknowledge what we are drinking um because it makes it more fun for us just like fantasy baseball we're not we're not out for blood here uh we just don't want them to monetize it without giving us at least 90 percent of any potential revenue <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and and they, they've already said like we'll have them on so we'll go toe-to-toe with this at some point um yeah and, there's and no good. reason we can't be chugging beers and chugging bourbon and discussing fantasy baseball when Correct. baseball returns that's right so so let's let's maybe let's put it out there right now Opening night, beers and bourbons, live stream. That's happening. That's the game plan. So we'll wait for the boys to sign up for that one. But I like that direction. Um, let's make peace and, and enjoy ourselves here. So let's get into what we're going to talk about tonight, which is the possibility of baseball, right? So as we're sitting here, the negotiation seems to be churning. Uh, there's rumors of expanded playoffs and number of games that they're trying to come up with. And it's all about how do we generate the most revenue, right? So I got to imagine owners are saying, let's get more playoff games. That'll be better for TV. Players are saying, we want more regular season games so you can pay us that and the TV stuff for the playoffs. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where it comes out. But Robbie, let's get into this debate because it's a big one. And as baseball fans, you got to hate it, right? You can't not hate it. So let's, let's dive into our list here. Uh, what are we going to start with? Sure. So three discussion points for us tonight, Ty. So, and, and, and the listeners, um, one, let's assume we get baseball this year. Uh, what do we think the setup's going to be and how many games we're now hearing it's between 60 and 70. So we can kind of narrow that down. The second question, um, or second talking point, I should say is what might minor league baseball look like in the future? We know that after 2021, the CBA expires. And right now the talk is that there could very likely be a strike, a stoppage, a lockout. Um, what are our thoughts on the future of baseball? And three, are there any potential changes that could be implemented within the next two to three seasons that could drastically affect dynasty baseball? That's what we're all about. At the end of the day, it's got to relate to fantasy baseball for us. It's got to relate to dynasty because we're not in this for the one and dones. We're here for the long haul. So what could affect potential roster construction, 
the rules, the number of MILB teams, which is a big potential issue, um, the draft, which we've already seen a major reduction from 40 rounds to five this year. Um, they're using the fact that we don't have baseball to do it for this year, but in years to come, um, and any other potential things. So, Ty, let's dive into point one. I want to give you the floor. Uh, let's assume we get baseball this year. What do we think is going to happen? And if you want to touch on the games, the games are kind of secondary. We know there's going to be somewhere between, you know, what, 50 and 70. Well, so. let, let's start with why we're here, right? Because I think that'll help us answer the yeah. question really well. And, and that's owners versus players, millionaires versus billionaires. Like, listen, you know, if, if you think just because somebody makes billions of dollars, that makes them wrong, you're being extremely naive. There's a reason they made billions of dollars because they ran successful businesses. And if you think they did that by accident or without building an intelligent business, you're also wrong. So I'm not saying the owners are 100% correct because they're not. They're taking baseball away from the people that support them. And that's a problem, right? But for the players to sit on the other side and say, hey, this is just one year, you owe us money. I don't think that's correct either. And the reason I say that is all sports in general have fought for 50-50 splits over the last 15 to 20 years. There's been strikes in multiple sports to accomplish those goals. Football seems to be the one that has epically failed um, from the player's side of it. But um, the rest of the sports have neared that 50-50 mark, right? So with that share in revenue comes a share in responsibility. And yes, this was an unpredictable scenario that no one can guard against. And yes, the owners have some right to, or not some right, some expectation to protect the game, protect the players. They're an employer. Yes, there's some correctness to that statement. But to say that they have to and must do it under generalized expectations over what's happened in the last 10 years or what should happen over the next 10 is unfair to the, to the owners, right? So I get it. People aren't going to like what I just said, but you know, as a business owner, you see things that other people don't, right? You see the employee uh, as, as a key part of your organization, right? They're everything. They're your lifeblood. But at the same time, like there are resources that allow you to support that person. Okay. So when those resources change, that changes things. And so for Boris or whoever to come out and say, they have other money, use that. That's ridiculous. Because if you were to say to the players, hey, well, you should have all this investment money saved up. Use that to make a living. That's the same argument. So, you know, that's where there's a bunch of hypocrisy. So I'm a little tired of listening to all the pundits say, if you're for the owners, you're an idiot. Like, come on, use your head. Economics are a thing. And unless you have a business or a business degree, maybe stay out of it because it's not your arena. Uh, As a fan, you're angry. Cool, we get it, right? But stick to what you know. There's no baseball, that sucks. That's your arena. Stay there, right? Do not pretend you understand the CBA or contracting or economics because most of us don't, right? I don't begin to understand the baseball economics. I'm speaking in generalization as a business owner. That's as simple as that. So um, we'll dive there. So with that, there's going to be a resolution, right? The both sides are too smart to realize or to, to let this slip away. They're going to play baseball this year. And right now they're just posturing. So when that's done, I think you're going to see a minimum of, I think it's 54, uh, 54 games, because I think that allows for three games home and away competitive balance. That's a number that I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see expanded playoffs to go on top of that. 
And that's going to just mean more money TV wise. We might even see fans for the playoffs. Like that's a real possibility, right? So if they can build a structure that allows the revenue to be all filtered towards that back half of the season, I think that's what we should be expecting. So 54 games, longer playoff. That's, that's kind of, and I might be off on the 54 number a little bit by a game or two, but that general target is where I think you're going to see this land. Okay. So for, for a fantasy uh, league, which we've heard a lot of and been getting, excuse me, been getting a lot of questions about um, at what point should fantasy leagues no longer have to be beholden to the contracts so you're in a contracts league and it's the last year or two years left or it's a first uh, based on the rookie setup you know fan tracks runs a lot of that you know first second third type thing um, salary leagues as well what do you think is fair just obviously it's your opinion tie same as it's mine um, what do you think is fair if we end up with as you would say just, let's just say under 60 games this season so it's less than half um, a little over a third of what a typical baseball season would be. Do you think you, yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah. I, I love this debate because I think it, it's the difference between leagues that survive and it's in the leagues that are sustainable for the long haul. Now you have to think of everybody involved in a lot of the leagues we're in, in the bigger ones, Rob, there's a little bit of a bigger price tag than your traditional buddy, you know, home league type things. So you have to first off decide what league you're in. Uh, is it a business type of league where everyone's serious or is it one where you just drink beers and yell at each other, right? That's, well, let's say it's, let's just for our $50 league because yeah. we're in a $50 league. So let's say it's a 50 buck league, 20 plus team. I, I personally think that it's a, it's a hard stop for that format. You move everything a year ahead and you, you do a smaller scenario for the shortened season. Right. And, and you can do whatever you want with the money. That just depends on the group you're with. But I think if you're being realistic about a dynasty format and the long haul of cultivating and building and the ROI, like there's a lot of people that probably spent a lot of prospect capital to build for this season. So to penalize that group is unfair because you might fast track somebody else's trajectory um, who maybe just recoiled and needs to pay the penalty for all of the trades they made last season to get there. So you know, that's, you have to balance that out. And if you don't, you're going to lose people, right? It's a fact. If you say to somebody that has built for this season too bad, they're gone. Like uh, I wouldn't come back, right? I I absolutely wouldn't. If that's the way the commissioner handled it, I'm out. See ya. Okay. So if, if MLB is going to expand playoffs and whatever, so I don't know when the expected playoff start date would be, but let's just say it'd be typical to the end of September, which would give us those usual four weeks of our own playoffs that are very difficult to manage. Um, one of the reasons why a lot of Roto guys think that, you know, the, the Roto way is the way um, because you don't have to uh, depend upon lineups and things like that that can be screwed around with in September because of expanded rosters. So you're in a league, a 20 plus team league. You've agreed that everyone that's on your team this year, if you have contracts, if you have financial ramifications, all of that money is pushed to next year. So you're in your season. If you want to make it as competitive as possible, my idea is you play three or four games per week that you have of baseball, like whatever it is that equals out to roughly 22 games a week, which is what your typical fantasy season is. And then you have four weeks of playoffs. 
So my idea would be that you would work it in some way, shape or form that you end up with as close to 22 weeks as you can with some scheduling items. You would also, if you're in a certain type of league, just play in your division maybe to get create a division winner, something like that. And the reason for this is of course, that you want to accumulate the statistical totals that you need for the better teams to win. However, you know, if, if Aaron judge is healthy for three weeks or sorry, is, is elite the whole season and healthy um, for the whole season, he's going to create so much more value than he would in a typical year where he's going to sit and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that's all kind of luck based. What would you suggest to somebody who says, let's do what I'm suggesting, which is get as close to 22 weeks as possible. You're paying your full, you know, your 50 bucks, hundred bucks, 300 bucks, whatever your league fee is, that's already gone. The, the host site has it we're going to make sure you get X number of games in that we told you, you would. Um, we're just going to do it in this different way for so you, you. Is it punt it? Like, I don't like that idea or are you open to the idea? So like, I think if you can move it to a more traditional baseball format where like three game series, four game series, like mm-hmm. I'd be intrigued by that. Uh, does fair okay. offer that? They do. I'm in a league that we did that last year. We ended up with 162 games and it was series of three and four against each other per week. Yeah. Like, I don't mind that. Like if you, if you're breaking it down to like a day by day game, win loss, I think Mm. that could be really cool. Um, But, but I think you have to be careful though. Like if you like the week to week format and the group likes that and you're going to the single game outcome, you're screwing with us. Yeah, exactly. You're messing with everybody and, and that's not how teams have been built and, all of that stuff has to be considered. So you really need to get the consensus of the group if you're going to move to that format. I love the idea of that format. If somebody's got a league like that, I would be very interested to join a league like that. Um, but I'm not as sure that I want to look at um, a, a scenario where um, I'm, I'm changing that format, right? So right. for me, like I, I build a lot of my teams. We've talked about it in cycles. So for me to change that cycle it breaks my strategy and I have a problem with that. So like that's where it just has to be understood where you're at in the growth of your league. How many people have been there for a very long time? Like if you're a league that has 30, but only five returned from last season, cool. Take your chances. You're already having trouble holding on to people. So it really doesn't make a difference. But I think if you've got a long-term league that you like the group you're with, try to try to just say, Hey guys, we're gonna hit the pause button and we'll regroup next season. And, the, the catch there is you're going to have the people say, well, I've got this guy that's going to retire. Right. And right. that's <clears throat> the other side of it. But I think that's the lesser of the two evils. If you're picking one. Yeah. I honestly think in order, once you get into larger leagues, once you're into dynasty baseball, you should already have a more serious player. So somebody who's thinking more than just in terms of redraft or prospect value or whatever, they should be, looking at things with a more open mind as far as building. So personally, I like the idea of offering up a couple of scenarios and I know Ty, we've talked about it before. You like to rule with the iron fist and let everybody know what's happening. I don't mind putting everything to a vote and seeing what the people do in one of our leagues, one that I created um, that was based off of our home league, but I put it up to a keeper league with 30 teams um, guys voted to eliminate the penalty for cutting players, which was one of my primary um, desires in creating the league, because I really like the idea of penalizing somebody for cutting them. When you sign somebody to a five-year deal, you shouldn't be able to just cut bait. You know, you have to pay for them in real baseball. Anyway, that's the way the league voted, and I, I went with it. But I kind of like the idea of saying, okay, so 
this season is what it is. Um, we have however many weeks we can get. Let's just say we're going to do half, half the fees. So if it's a hundred dollar league, it's going to be 50 bucks and 50 bucks of your fees will all go towards next year. So let's play with this $50, but let's not screw with our format. So instead of playing one team each week, you're now going to play three. So it's going to be head to head three exact. So if it's daily lineups or if it's, um, you know, Monday and Thursday, you set your lineup, whatever it is, you keep your formatting the same. You just end up with more opponents. Now I, I like to put a lot of strategy into the way I set my lineups. I don't just look for top and talent. I like to figure out a way to beat my opponent. You know, if I'm going up against somebody who doesn't try to steal and doesn't care about K's um, and other ways to describe how you play tie, I would set my lineup differently than if I was in a points league where I just need the most points at the end of the week. Um, but I think that's the best way to do it. And as a commissioner, this is not easy. Like this is a tough way to go. I feel like no matter what, next season or when this season ends if we do get a season we are going to see a pretty high turnover in a lot of leagues and i think that has to do with the fact that guys are going to say i don't care as much as i thought i did or i lost interest once all this crap happened i was a diehard nhl fan as a kid i grew up in 94 we had the strike i was what 12 years old at that point in time and they got a 48 season 48 game season in uh, Lindros was the MVP. Life was good. Everything was great. And then in whatever year it was, 0203, I think they had a strike. And then in 06, they had a strike. And um, that really killed it for me. And then again, I think in 010, something like that. They've ended up losing two full seasons um, in the last 15 ish years to get NHL to where they are today. And I know that really made me exit out, which means in baseball terms, there's going to be people just like me who are like, I just don't care anymore. So there's a lot of work to be done in our off season, but in order to limit that damage, I think it's important to not screw with your format, do everything you can to keep it all the same. And maybe just instead of having one matchup, you have two matchups. And then when it comes to playoffs, you don't mimic MLB and allow 16 teams to enter. If that's what they're going to do, you don't need that same format. You do whatever you traditionally do. And it, it allows you to crown a champion and give them a percentage of the winnings that were expected, but also to actually crown a champion who's won instead of the sprint. Because we see in baseball where people complain, oh, like, you know, in a 60 game season, you don't get to go through the ebbs and flows and the players that, you know, do well and then don't do well. And my biggest thing in all of this is that there are players who would normally lose their rookie eligibility that are not even going to get a shot this year or they're not going to play enough to lose it. So rosters, I think, are going to be overloaded. So my biggest fear is that at the end of the season, we have a supposedly, our, our, you know, most leagues I'm in have 10-round or bigger drafts. But we only had a five-round minor league draft this year, or amateur draft. We'll have a J2 class that, give or take, could give you 20 guys you might want to draft, and then some international players that might come back. Um, but at the end of the day, you're going to need to find a way to kind of fill those things up depending on the size of your minor league team it could be a real rocky situation so the only thing i'll add to that though is i think that you have a scenario where you're going to force teams to make moves which is always exciting right so after we've been through like this lull that we're in like creating that reason for trades and restructuring and bubbling over and some of those teams that maybe have struggled to grab elite young talent might end up with some of these guys falling into their lap so there could be a lot of benefits out of that right so that's why i like backing it up i like i said neither of the options are great like let's just call it what it is but if you're if you're looking at the the best case scenario back it up 
and do a redraft for one year, right? Like we talk about all the time, like dynasty, we believe to be the better format, but why not have some fun? You got a whole bunch of guys that are really good at dynasty, throw a curveball at them, have fun for a single year, one off redraft, go do it as a fun little thing in the interim. You can put some money on it. And boom. Off to the races. That's I, an I interesting like idea. I like I, that I idea. I like the idea of taking your dynasty team and just making that your redraft team. So you would just say to everybody, okay, um, you know, this, this doesn't count. So do whatever the heck you want to do this year, but whatever your roster is today, that's going to be your roster day one of the off season. So if you want to try to make a whole bunch of trades to try to win this year, go ahead and do that. And, but I think your league's got to be on board. Like you said, Ty, cause I think you could like really piss a lot of people off by making any change like right but hear me out though right and this is what i really really like about a redraft is that you're gonna find out exactly who everybody else loves so the amount of like (laughs) trading that you're gonna be able to build like like this is what i'm looking at like most leagues that are boring lack transactions right like that's the big thing that kills leagues is when everybody's stone-faced and no one does anything you need the bobbies and the ronnies and the guys we talk about all the time on our show that stir the pot up because you need somebody to stop the water from turning stagnant. Right. So giving these excuses for people to think outside the box or overanalyze their opponents. Beautiful. It's a great way to kill some time and lighten the mood and what could be a really negative experience. If you just push forward. Okay. So second question, what might minor league baseball look like in the future? We know the CBA expires after 2021 and there's a potential for strike or lockout. Um, what are your thoughts on the potential future of minor league baseball? First and foremost, CBA doesn't happen without an international draft. That's my first take. I I think you're going to have a whole bunch of players that have been through the North American draft and they're going to sit and say, listen, here's the future revenue that this kid who didn't have to grind it out for 10 years on the circuits like we did all the money we spent and we get X amount of dollars, they can do this at 16 future values, X, all this math stuff that, you know, you economists out there will be loving to to talk about. But I think that's going to be the center point. How do we first make it a fair playing field for all people involved? And and it's not a perfect system, right? Like how do you allow a 16 year old kid from a Caribbean Island to enter that draft versus, you know, I, I think you just call it a spade a spade period. Right. I think you just let them go at it and I think it'll sort itself out. Right. Like elite talent at 16 will go where it belongs. Um, Guys that are maybe on the fence will go later. Like I think it'll over time will solve itself. So I think there's going to be some overthought on that one. That's first and foremost. I don't think you're going to see this big peel back in the minor leagues. Like everybody's expecting. I think you're just going to see things like the second layer of a ball go away. Right. Like I think you're still going to see one short season team, you're going to see a double, triple, right? Like, do you need four teams, rookie ball, eight, two A's and a short season? No, you don't. Right. So plus, plus Dominican summer league, which, exactly. which is absolutely overlooked. I had no idea the Rockies actually had two Dominican summer league teams until I looked into it. And I put a Twitter thread together last week uh, or maybe two weeks ago, depending on when this airs that kind of discussed my thoughts on it, Ty, and just picking up from what you said, if you have a triple A club, a double A club, and a high A or just your A club, that could very likely be it. And you could do some really cool things where the Arizona Fall League, I've heard this, and I'm going to change it slightly. I've heard that the Arizona Fall League this year could end up being a full 
um, league, a 30 team league where each MLB team just sends their entire, you know, prospect development team there instead of just six players and they make six teams. Well, I'm saying let's do a permanent kind of AZL or AFL, sorry, where you have in Florida, the strength training 15 clubs and in um, Arizona, you have the 15, but it's the prospect teams and they play it out during the MLB playoffs. And that way you're elongating the season of those players as well. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with where you're going. Like I, I don't mind. I'm, I'm going to come at it from a slightly different angle on the practicality of it. Right. So let's say um, the league consists of Joe Adele's and Wander Franco's and, and that type of player. Like, are you going to stick Austin Martin in there? Right. As a, like, as, but, but hear me out though. Like you're talking about potential a guys that don't have the, the high level. Yes. Austin Martin could go to double a this year um, in theory, but let's just say he was a traditional college brat bat that ends up low or high a to start. And then maybe moves quickly after that. Like there's lots of guys that are going to be forced into that AZL league that are going to face Nate Pearson. And that's not a good matchup and you could end up stunting. The other part of it is what happens when there isn't a right fielder for any pro club or not for any pro club or for one singular pro club that they don't want to send. Right, what it, you're going to end up with a kid that normally plays left field being forced to play right, which the AZL already has that though. Um, and I understand all that. I'm I'm just I'm giving you the hypotheticals, right? Like I understand yeah. where you're coming from. Like I, there's just there's a numbers problem there, and if you're cutting down the number of teams, you you're going to have an imbalance of talent, right? So that's I I like the idea, I really do. Like I love the concept. I think you can maybe go to 25, but then it, then it's a tricky scenario. So maybe what it ends up being is um, double and triple can go or uh, veteran free agents. And maybe that's the way you fill that gap. It's like the mosquitoes in Jurassic Park. It's that's very interesting. You say that because I just happened to have a VHS (laughs) in my hands of Jurassic Park (sighs) as you make that comment. And earlier today I was watching on Netflix, Jurassic Park too. So, um, but so my grand vision here, Ty, if, I, if I'm saying it out loud, I'm looking at an MLB minor league system that will have 75-ish at A, AA, AAA, 75-ish active players. That's an awful lot of baseball players. And then it will have a development system, which would be kind of like your academy. So you don't have games necessarily, but they could all filter into your A-level team if it suits which means they could play against each other. They could do all sorts of scrimmagey things, which is what happens in the um, Arizona Summer Leagues is that different different programs do these things, Dominican Summer League, similar. But they all play unofficial games against each other. And that's how you, ooh, hello. Um, that's how you improve your baseball players by putting them in game situations. But the idea of having 75 players in a development system, 75 players, that are actually in game somewhere still means you have 150 minor league players. Well, right now teams typically have well over 200. So I think the idea is that you cut back the amount of players. And this is also partially a publicity thing that MLB could easily do. You cut down the amount of players you have in a draft. So you go from 40 to even 15, which is plenty. Um, and you could still have that 20 K signing period afterwards. If you so desired as major league baseball, you'd have a free agent period, no matter what every pro sport has that ability, but you just have to put the cap on it. Cause otherwise, you know, you could, 
in theory have teams decide to try to make super teams or whatever. So um, you have you have an A, a double A, a triple A club. You have a minor league system, a, you know, development, whatever, that's about 75 guys too. That gives you 150 in your system. Right now, everybody's got over 200. Everybody now that's in those minor league systems gets paid a fair wage, which is one of the biggest complaints that we hear. Minor league players don't get paid enough. Everybody gets paid just say $50,000 minimum or more per year. You're now paying 150 guys $50,000 a year. Everybody at those other levels, you now only have to worry about the A club, the AA, and the AAA. And the interesting thing that I've been looking into is that MLB clubs own different levels of teams. So Colorado, for example, owns their A-level team, but they do not own their AA or their AAA. Those are independent. Those are the clubhouses that tend to have, the independently owned, tend to have higher clubhouse fees, which is one of the things that drains the amount of money players earn from them because the clubhouse fees are very high and they can make between three and $4,000 a month, but then $1,500, that could be a clubhouse fee. So if the MLB teams do or do not own them, that's fine. And then if people are concerned about, well, what about, you know, Lansing lug nuts, right? They wouldn't exist in, in this scenario that I'm describing. It would be Dunedin because they've got the facility for this big, massive program that I'm describing as well as for the high A team. Well, Lansing would just become semi-pro baseball. And if you want to be a Lansing lug nut and you want to be a semi-pro player or a college player that comes out or whatever, you still do that. But you also go and have a job in the Lansing area and you play baseball, whatever it is, three or four days a week to still get your 50-some-ish games in. But you're also making a semi-pro's wage, which happens in a ton of sports. It happens in baseball already with independent leagues, but it would just create more of them. And what it would allow is for other players to get scooped up by major league teams later on rather than being drafted in say the 20th round or the 25th round and signing for like 2000 or $3,000 and then get getting paid like crap for several years. And then, you know, getting really bitter about the minor league system and riding on buses and all this, it then becomes your choice. So major league teams no longer have to have a bunch of fringe players to fill out a roster. They just get to pick guys that they think could be more premium talents because the obligation is literally there for them to at least draft players, whether they even negotiate or not, they're, they're obligated to draft players that they may not be interested in. Whereas if you went to a smaller system, you could put more emphasis on everybody that you draft and they could all go into your development system. And then instead of guys going, you know, playing short season ball somewhere, they could just stay in the development system. And if you felt like Austin Martin of the Jays is worthy of becoming part of this you know, farm system team that goes and plays in this September AZL or this October AZL, you could do that. And if you don't think he's ready, then you don't do it. And he doesn't see a game until the maybe the next spring training or whatever, just for the sake of developing the player versus um, getting the player into some type of a game scenario against out of organization opponents. Yeah, and, and I love where you're going with this. I'm going to take it just a little step further. I think what the owners want is fixed cost, right? So I think where they need to go is that you're paid a flat fee at the level you're at, right? So any business wants a clean budget, right? So if right. you can then say, take your same numbers, 25, 25, 25, 
way, you know, the way you lined it up and you say, okay, at single A, you're 25, at double A, yeah. you're 50, at triple, you're 75, whatever the right numbers are, you know, yeah, yeah. leave I'm, that aside. That makes a ton of sense doing it exactly like you just described. And and then what, like the difference in, in the reason the owners are moving to this, like everyone's like, oh, they're taking away baseball. They want to make more money. Like, no, listen, the money's being invested at the high school level, right? Like, this development that used to happen at rookie ball and the summer leagues, and, and there's still room for that as a secondary option, but it's going to turn into like a Juco level, right? Um, yep. That's where it's going to go. Right. But that you don't need to develop the 16 year olds anymore because they're doing it in high school. Right. And that's the thing, like they're facing 99 now that never used to happen. Right. So the timelines are just different. Right. So like Groshan's coming up in the J system. He's going to be there at 20, right? Whether the Jays bring him up or not, he's going to be there. Um, there's other guys in other systems, Franco and, and, and others that are going to be in the same conversation to teach junior, right? So all of these guys are developing faster and, and the owners are recognizing it. And they're saying, okay, listen, like, why do we need to employ all these extra people uh, when we can just cut it and, and outsource it instead? So indie ball will become more important privately owned teams will have an opportunity to generate revenue in their own independent leagues. There will still be the same amount of baseball. It just will look very different. So yeah. inside of the umbrella, it's, I think the best path forwards to structure it because then you don't have to listen to the squawking. Like, listen, if you're a single A player and you fizz out there, you don't deserve to make a million dollars. Like, I'm sorry, you don't, you just didn't get there. The talent wasn't there. And maybe you need to rethink how you got to that point, whether you didn't put in the work, you were never good enough in the first place and you should have looked at a different option. Like there's all of those things that the players have to own a little bit and they don't. Um, and the last point I want to make is in regards to the clubhouse fees, like this one bugs me. And, and it's because nobody ever talks about that covers their food, their gym membership, et cetera. Right. Like all that stuff is part of playing major league baseball or any, even minor league baseball. So if you look at the general public, they make 50 K then they have to pay the rent. Then they have to pay for their food. Then they have to pay for their gym membership and all these other things like it's included in their salary. And yes, they have less take home, but they don't have to worry about managing those other expenses. So like it's a swan song and you hear the violin go all the time from the major leaguers talking about how hard it was. Like you just suck at managing your money because you're expecting to be a billionaire at some point in your life. There's a difference, right? So I'd like to see the players be a little more grounded, which is why we talked about the owners off the hop. Like I, I get it. Like I, you deserve your share of the revenue, but there has to be structure in place that goes both directions, right? Because the owners can't say, Hey, you suck. I'm taking away $10 million, right? They're not allowed to do that. And, and you shouldn't just be able to say, Hey, this is, I, I deserve more because the, it's 2020 and, and yes. Right. Like that's not a reason. Yeah. Well, you, you've heard it in other sports more so than baseball about players who hold out for a better contract, right? NFL specifically guys don't want to play because they're worth more than what they're about to get paid. But we see it in baseball all the time where the minimum salary for like Chris Bryant, whatever it was, the Cubs paid him after his MVP season, they paid him like a million dollars, like as if that was supposed to be the best thing that he could ever have happened to him. Meanwhile, other players sign deals that are $30 million deals. It's, it's out of whack. And that might be, to me, why I could see with the CBA and things coming, I could see the owners wanting a hard cap. They, they, they might be willing to say, we will take a hard cap of, pick your number, doesn't matter, uh, 208. But it, they also, the players can then go back just like the NHL did and say, well, then you need to have a spending minimum. So it needs to be $110 million. It needs to be something so that there's money flowing 
on both ends, but there also then creates the cap. NBA has, I think, a player maximum of what I don't even know what it is, $25 million maybe for a player. And if you play, if you re-sign with the team that you, you became year. a free, yeah, you can, you can put an additional year on it. So yeah. there are ways in which you can help yourself as far as like the team goes, but as the player, you can also help yourself. And I feel like that's a pretty fair system to have in place where everybody can earn, but at the lower level in baseball, for sure, it's a free for all it's signing like bonus babies as they're all called. If they got a, a signing bonus or it's the guys who are just like trying to trudge it out. And I feel like there are too many guys, like you said, Ty, who for some reason don't have the talent or whatever it is to actually make it in baseball, but they're, they're kicking along and some of them get their way up to high A and some of them spend a year or two at double A and some of them kick around at triple A too, but they never get a shot. And there's a reason why, like whatever it is, the organization, their own actions or something, it, and it would be interesting to see a system in which those players that the organizations don't wish to promote if they are not given the opportunity through the Major League Baseball system. So they have to go and earn it independently. And then if they do, they could potentially sign. But in the meantime, they're not in the Major League Baseball systems, various teams, and they have their own source of income or they're just an independent league baseball player. They finish college, they go play independent league for three or four months or something like that. And they do or do not sort themselves out. Those are the guys that I wish that that's what I wish existed versus the argument of like, why are minor league players paid so poorly? Well, because there are kind of too many teams for the talent. No, nobody should be drafting 40 players in a draft and be like, yes, now we've replenished our system. With what? Look at the draft results, right? Like very few teams have eight players from any draft that ever play significant major league time. So why are they drafting 40 of them? You want to know how you solve this problem? And, it, and it's overly simple and no one will like it because it's too simple. Instead of talking dollar amounts, six figures, seven figures, eight figures, whatever, percentages, right? So that's all you do. It's a straight revenue share. Owner makes X, players make X you negotiate percentage of revenue instead of a dollar amount. It doesn't matter on the number of fans. It doesn't matter on the number of sponsorships. It's a whole inclusive organization wide piece of information, right? Because the thing that the casual fan does not think about is how much money the owners put out to staff, right? It is a big, big, big number. And when this first started, hockey really got shelled by the media and fans guilting owners into paying part-time seasonal staff. And yes, there's an argument to be made. It's the right thing to do, but the media should not be able to dictate how a business spends their money. And that's what happened. Um, and, And I don't like that, but if you do this as a percentage thing and you negotiate that from the top, it's a very clear understanding. If we all make money, that's fantastic. We all make extra, right? And if we make less money, that means you guys suck at your job. And that's your fault. And there's a, there's a balance there. So then when you go into situations like we're dealing with now, we're talking about restructuring or, or a change in the, the bottom line, everybody's hit equally. It's not, it doesn't impact anybody any differently. They're all impacted by the same ratios. You solve a lot of the problems, but can you imagine getting that by Scott Boris? 0% chance, <laughs> like zero. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you and I know that and everyone else knows that, but I'm telling you, that's the solution. It solves all of the problems. And yes, it would take somebody way smarter than us to do the math on it, 
but I promise you there's a solution in there somewhere. If there's money to be earned by players and money to be saved by owners, it seems like it's a good scenario. It's just a matter of making it make sense uh, between those two parties, and then the public will deal with it. But and then neither, neither party is willing to admit that the other one could be right, though. That's the big problem. And that's well, the, today that, for sure. Today yeah, for sure. That's what the percentage solves. Is like, listen, we're both we both have the same risk, and we both have the same reward. Done. But we've also heard a whole lot about owners won't open up books, and you know, there's lots of ways to manipulate things. Like teams can always make it look like they're losing money if they need to. Um, Rogers, which owns the Toronto Blue Jays, they're a corporation, not an individual, so they're able to say, "Well, our TV contract is so much money because they're a communications company. They can say that it costs so much more, so that it helps to offset the money they're spending on the club." It, it's a very hairy situation, so that that's a sticky one. Um, but I think you know we discussed and de definitely got off topic about the um, potential for minor league system. So the third point here, Ty, um, are there any potential changes that could be implemented within the next two or three seasons, which would cover us through the CBA that could drastically affect dynasty players? So this could include roster construction, uh, rules, MILB teams, the draft. So what might be some things that you would focus on now Thinking about the future, we already know there have been rule changes with relief pitchers where they're now going to need to face, or I guess it's pitchers in general, they're now going to need to face at least three hitters. Aside from that, are there anything else we've talked, I guess the universal DH? Yeah, universal DH is coming, whether it's in 2021 or, or 2025, like it, it's coming, period. Uh, you can't justify paying a pitcher $300 million and then having him get hit with a fastball in the hand and missing three seasons because he's not right um that's just not going to be an option so that for sure is coming I, I hate it because i'm old school and i like the traditional double switches and all that fun stuff that happens in the nl i'm gonna miss that um i'd like to see them get creative and, and institute a more flexible dh role with with some double switching possibly in there I, I don't know how you do it but i'd like to see that roster flexibility there um the other part for sure the international draft is coming um, no questions asked. It's going to happen. I'm going to be intrigued because we, I don't think we have a lot of details on what the Asian leagues, the KBO and others have, have set up um, with major league baseball. We've heard them in discussion about transfer fees and all the other stuff that have kind of, or posting fees or whatever uh, yep. in, in the past years, I got to imagine in those boardrooms, there was a discussion of what happens in 2021 or 2025 or yeah. year after that. I'm curious when any potential agreements they've come to now will expire because something new happened the year Otani came in, which would have been 18 where they limited um, the players. So even though um, Otani was an international free agent, he came under the CBA as a rookie making the league minimum. And, and that was a way that it was like a luck out for whoever got him, which turned out to be the angels that they were able to get him for six years of control instead of an international, like a Cuban signee. Um, I, I just don't see any way. It, it doesn't make sense to me why you have a U.S. and Canada system of drafting uh, with along with um, some of the, you know, other United States tie-ins, Puerto Rico where you draft those players, but then you have international players who, if you are from Asia, have a posting system, which has to be accepted. And the team collects a fee for that posting system, which is a maximum. I think now they lowered it. So it's like $20 million. So several teams will post for solid players. Um, and then the player automatically gets league minimum. 
But then you have Cubans or other forms of international players that are not under that who can sign for any amount that they wish. I, I think it's why really they easy. don't unify it. I, I agree. And I think that's going to be one of the hot topics under the 2021 CBA. Like, I think it has to be right. Because if you're a North American player, like it's a proven fact that yes, you might have more opportunity to grow and develop as a player, but the, the cash side of the conversation is a, a more, um, what's the right. I can't think of the right word, but it slows you down more. Um, the, the point that I'm trying to get to is, is very simple. What they need to do is look at what college basketball has done and, and not screw it up the way they've done it, but the structure needs to be the same. If you go to the major league baseball draft, you can enter the draft at 16 as an international player. That's your decision. You're allowed to live that life. If you're coming outside of the country, if you do not, then you cannot enter the league until 22 or whatever the right age is. Right. So that gives the Asian leagues a couple years to acquire that player, but it gives the player the timeline to say to those leagues, like, listen, I'll give you four years. I'll come in and, and do my thing for four years to build up and grow and get that minor league equivalent experience. But then I'm going to look at that opportunity. That doesn't mean I'm going to leave, but I want that option. Right. So you got to assume those players want that, but you have to be fair to the Caribbean and the rest of the world in the way they structure their baseball as well. So I don't know how you dance around the 16 year old from a Caribbean country that right. needs a, like a different experience. Right. Because um, the Asian culture, the North American culture are very similar. Obviously there's cultural barriers in some level, but you know, for the most part, like the development is similar, right. They're going to, they're going to develop at similar paces. Whereas, you know, the, the islands in other countries are certainly going to happen fast, but in that four or five year window, more or less. So I think you have to just recognize what you're dealing with and say, okay, you can enter as a 16 year old. And like I said before, it's going to filter accordingly over time. Year one, they might screw it up bad, but in year 10, I think they'll have it down to the science. Well, like I was supposed to be coaching a competitive baseball team this year. And um, with COVID it hasn't happened. Season's canceled. So, but what I was learning about was the fact that there were huge restrictions on how often you're, your pitchers could pitch. And the idea was solely based on the fact that Asian players had typically been uh, like not abused, but had been overworked as pitchers before. And depending on how your setup was North American pitchers had been on more than one team and were being used the same way. So they could be on a high school team and they could be pitching once a week, maybe twice. And they could be on a travel team that would do the exact same thing. And the whole point was, how can we reduce it so that they're not putting the strain and stress on their bodies? Whereas certain Asian pitchers used to pitch way the heck more often until they became a professional. And then they went to six days a week. So they would get, sorry, six days, six games a week. They would get one start and potentially a relief appearance within that. And that's only going to apply for pitchers, not going to apply for hitters whatsoever, but I find it to be very interesting. And I think like, if you want to do an international draft, which I've been a proponent of, I've said, I think it's the way to go in the future, but I mean, there are a million caveats and, the, and some of those are, do you make it, you need to have graduated high school and be at least 18 by set date, you know, August 1st or whatever, or do you need to, like you said, Ty declare at a certain age at 16. And if you don't declare at 16, then it's 20. Cause I don't think you can say, okay, if you're a Dominican or a Cuban, 
you have to declare it 16, if not 16, then 20, if not 20, then 22, whatever it is. I, it would be very complex in that scenario. But I love the idea of saying you have to have completed high school and be 18 years of age at whatever, d December 1st. So when baseball would not, professional baseball would not be playing, something like that. So then teams can make a, a decision. And again, you have to, to me, the biggest thing is you have to eliminate money from the equation for players. If a bonus pool is set at say six and a half million dollars for a 10th overall pick, I think it needs to be eliminated because for a Dominican player, you might be able to sign them for a lot less because of their family situation. And, and, you know, $4 million would go a really long way for one family. And that, that's no different Dominican versus American, Canadian, Jamaican. It doesn't matter if a family doesn't come from money and a kid can earn their family multi-millions of dollars, it would be a good decision, but it doesn't mean it's the best decision for the kid. So I think it's a really complex thing, which is why I would love if they just said like NHL, it's a three-year setup. Um, you, you get whatever you could just say, every player that signs gets a million dollars up to the 100th pick or something like that. And then you just slowly like decrease the amount, but you don't make it premium to be the fifth pick versus the 20th. Right, but it would but, be, but, but the flaw in your system though, is, is in the Caribbean leagues, right? Because we talked about it earlier with, um, the North American born athletes and even the Asian born athletes to some extent, um, they're going to have that opportunity to develop between 16 and 18 against super elite competition right they're they're going to be slightly better educated um in most cases and and then there's going to be a scenario where they're physically developed right so is it fair to say to a 16 year old kid that doesn't have the same gyms or um schools or whatever to be expected to be dropped into the same bucket as an 18 year old kid that's been giving everything to him right right yeah, answer, no no I, I agree like it's not a yeah it's, but, there's but no here, perfect system but here's where it does become interesting though this is why i like my model is that at 16 you decide i want to do one or the other so the kids that are going to jump at 16 are going to be the best of the best the vlads you know yep. the tatis juniors and all of those kids that are are that good the rest of them are going to do what they should do. Instead of accepting $50,000 to go ride the bus, they're going to be forced to stay in their home country. And what's going to happen is the major league teams are going to invest more into their facilities in that area, right? Because they're going to provide better education. They're going to provide training. They're going to provide all of these things that develop these communities because when they hit that 20, 21, 22, or whatever age is decided on that backside, now those players are going to have opportunities to sign as free agents. And so if you're that organization, you're going to want to cultivate that relationship and that dollar amount will be dignified by whatever has happened in that six-year window, right? So how many international kids have been signed at 16 just on the pipe dream? The major league team doesn't give a crap about where they end up. They're either a pipe dream or they say, too bad, sorry, see you later, thanks for trying. Right. Right. And it, and it probably ruins a lot of those people's lives. We never hear about them. Right. Like it, it could take them away from their family. They might. We not only ever... hear about the ones that that come Correct. stateside and make it. And that, exactly. that extends to Mexico as well. Absolutely. There are Mexican players that are under the same thing. So, OK, so to sum it up, we're a dynasty podcast. We're talking dynasty. Obviously, this is an episode where we're just talking baseball and doing a little bit of relation to dynasty. So, um MLB teams, we could see an awful lot of changes and we've got at, at least the 2021, let's hope, uninterrupted full season 
to play out. But is there anything that you're thinking today, Ty, that's changing your mind about dynasty building? No, not even a little bit, to be honest. Um, I've always built longer term structures of my teams, like rotating through it. So I already have, I already have my 2023 group starting to come together. Right. And that's just the way I build my teams. And I'm always trying to get that next phase. And yes, um, I might have one year drop off where I'm or two, even sometimes, uh, depending on how my drafts go. Um, that's, I, I'm not expecting anything that should shock the world from a dynasty perspective. You're going to have faster pipelines to the pros. I think that's going to be the biggest thing, right? So instead of a Zach Veen taking five years, like he could, I think the norm will be three. And if you don't make it by the fourth to at least that triple quad a scenario, you're out. Right. And I think that's going to be the expectation is just quicker churn through the system. And I, and I think beyond yeah. that, the rest of it's financial, in my opinion, I, I would prefer if, there was a three-year limit on the drafted players just because then it doesn't matter if you're high school or college. The idea is that you have to show that promise within three years. And then the team can choose to sign you to a, to an extension at that point in time. If not, you can become a, a, you know, a free agent. And I think that would really, like we talk about in dynasty that would open it up to like allowing other teams to jump in and be more competitive at, at a lower cost. Listen, I, I love the idea. I think it needs to be five years. And, and the reason for that is just like, I like the idea. Like, I think you're onto something there. Uh, but I think it needs to be five because in three, you have the scenario for them to say, listen, you know, the pirates or whoever's a budget conscious team says, listen, this guy's going to make too much. It doesn't fit our winning cycle, kick him to the curb and the Yankees end up with him, Right. So, you know, that's, that's a scenario that I think you need to avoid for competitive balance. Um, and I also think there'll be an alternative scenario where, there's just players that get screwed, right? They didn't. Well, get a Tommy other- John, a Tommy yeah. John is half that three years, Correct. right? So that's the other side. So I'll email Manfred, and you wrap up this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Manfred needs to email us. We will, we will take hefty consulting fees any day you are ready, Robert. Um, and so it's been another episode here with Rob and Tyler on Dangers. This is Dingers, way more than fantasy baseball. We keep it real when we talk and knock it straight out the park. <laughs> Let's see the stats. What's the average draft position? What kind of plays you making? Check the wins above replacement. Check the lineups and the points. This I gotta see. What's your path to victory? Are they aiming for a dynasty? Get points going head to head. Please don't do me no favors. We're always watching waivers. Ain't no minor league. This is major. Yeah. Dingers. Let's go.